Hello, I'm Leslie Ewing, host of Shorewords, and welcome to the Shorewords Shore and Beach edition. Shore and Beach is the quarterly journal of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association. And for this podcast, as with the last one, I'll be talking with a few of the authors who have papers in the most recent issue of the journal, discussing, of course, their articles, but also their interests in the coast, what they've learned as they were putting the article together, and their upcoming plans for research or writing. Today, it's my great pleasure to talk with Melody Grubbs and Karina Johnson about the paper they co-authored with Phyllis Griffman called Planning to Adaptation, Informing Regional Nature-Based Adaptation to Improve Coastal Resilience in Santa Monica Bay. But before we start talking about the paper, words from our sponsor. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. So Karina and Melody, thank you so much for coming on Shorewords today to talk about your paper. And I certainly want to get to the paper and, and some of your work on it and your, your lessons learned from it. But before getting there, I'd like it if you could talk to me a little bit about your backgrounds. I know you've both done a lot of work within the Santa Monica Bay area and been looking at the use of dunes for shore protection and, and, and just their enhancement of the habitat within the area. So, Karina, if you could start. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. I'm the science director with the Bay Foundation and the director of programs for Loyola Marymount University's Coastal Research Institute. I'm a marine biologist and I've been with the Bay Foundation for about 12 years. I've always been interested in the intersection between science, applied science, and sort of meaningful on the ground change. Um, lately can add in a sprinkling of policy on top of that. But what that means, um, my work at the Bay Foundation has uh, um, spanned everything from uh, research and uh, restoration projects from wetlands to dunes to coastal beaches. Um, And the last five years, I've had a focus on coastal resiliency and living shorelines and using 
these nature-based solutions to try to help protect our coastlines from sea level rise. Great. You, you seem perfectly situated for dealing with the issues that some of or some of the many issues that Santa Monica Bay is going to be facing now and into the future. And Melody. Hi, Leslie. Hi. <laughs> so, yeah, Melody Grubbs. I'm with USC Sea Grant, um, uh, previously with the Bay Foundation and worked alongside Karina on some of these um, early living shoreline projects. Um, my role now is primarily working with coastal communities to ensure they have the best available science to plan for and adapt to sea level rise um, projects. And so, um, you know, work with a lot of um, local municipalities, uh, different agencies, and also um, reaching out to a variety of coastal communities in the Southern California area. Great. So your paper spans a huge part of, of projects. You go from the planning to actually the adaptation and the, the implementation of some of the regional-based adaptations that are available. And it's, it's a huge topic that you've managed to concisely put into a, a reasonably short paper. But I know that in writing papers, at least when I write a paper, I find that I'm, I'm kind of learning while I'm writing because in sitting down to write about the process, about the lessons learned, it suddenly coalesces in my head a little bit more what actually was going on. So what, what were the big things that you wanted to focus on in writing the paper? And I'll start now with Melody. What, what did you want this paper to really convey to folks who are going to be reading it? Well, you know, planning for sea level rise and developing some of these adaptation projects can be really complex. There's a lot of moving parts from the science that's being developed to how that science is being translated and to what kind of solutions or steps the community is looking for in terms of the vulnerabilities they're facing today and into the future. And so what we were looking for was really a kind of a, a paper that described the process of getting from point A to point B and um, not necessarily a, a blueprint per se, but something that kind of put all the pieces together to begin to understand the complex steps needed um, to plan for sea level rise. It sounds like you've got a friend in the background. <laughs> I, <do>. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would only say that you really go from point A to point oh F or G or something. You've <laughs> gone through a lot of steps in your your discussions in the paper. Uh, Karina, what, what what part of that those steps did you find most challenging to work through and and then to write about. Sure. This was a really interesting collaborative experience. And I completely agree with uh, everything that Melody was saying. But also you, Leslie, when you were saying you kind of learn as you go along, I think we had some really interesting uh, discussions about what the key takeaways from these um, recommendations would be about this process. And our, our hope was that um, we were sharing a little bit about our journey um, but also that it would be replicable and, and translatable to other folks in other parts of the U.S. and world who are looking to try to 
uh, utilize uh, science-based tools, stakeholder engagement, different communication strategies, and and start trying to move towards nature-based solutions or or implementing coastal resiliency projects. Um, Some of my key takeaways, um, I think, from the process and and hopefully highlighted in the paper are um, really that uh, communication and and collaboration is key. Um, Stakeholder engagement early and often is, is also essential. Um, and, and to stay flexible with some of these opportunities, um, especially if you aren't um, locked down in, into a particular pattern already, there's a lot you can learn from the process itself. Um, and, then, and then really lastly, this, that small scale projects, uh, such as the Santa Monica Beach Project talked about in the paper, can really roll up into having huge impacts and set the stage for some of these larger scale resiliency efforts. Definitely, they can, and and they're the the sort of the things we look to to say it can be done in Santa Monica Bay, and look at what other opportunities there are elsewhere to to take this very urbanized shoreline. I mean, you've got some challenges working in Santa Monica Bay with the the millions of visitors who go by every day, but it's also a great opportunity to have it as a learning experience. So. Um, I guess, Karina, just because this is more your 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 effort, um, how have you found people responding to the project that you've installed in Santa Monica Bay? What do people say about it? We've really been inspired by the level of support and, and positive uh, outcomes and, and positive engagement from the community. Um, really starting from the beginning, we, we had City of Santa Monica as a really important key partner in this uh, beach restoration project. And we had a lot of opportunity to um, kind of explore some of the ideas with them and then target individual stakeholder groups who were already working or utilizing the area and then conduct this kind of broader stakeholder um, outreach and opportunity. Um, so I, th- I think there was um, some interesting challenges that came up along the way um, and I'll never forget our our very first uh, public meeting um, and Melody and I were there and um, we were presenting about the project uh, conceptually before um, really intensive planning had gone into the stage. And um, there was a general support from all of the stakeholders and and one um, particular resident asked how she might stop the program, stop the project. I think Melody and I both panicked a little bit and my heart stopped just for a moment. And we kind of looked at each other and, uh, you know, I said, well, let's continue the presentation and we can, I'm happy to talk to you about options um, and how to, how to provide more direct feedback um, at the end. And then once um, Melody had clicked through to the slides about the pictures of the uh, photographs of the um, plants that we were going to plant and seed on site, um, one of which is on the cover of, of Shore and Beach. Um, the woman stood up and said, let's make it bigger. And uh, of course, Melody's and I's heart started beating again. And that, then it was it was good from there. Um, but it was great to have that even that initial stakeholder meeting, have people really start to understand it as you moved through this conversation and to try to translate the need and the and the science, but in a way that makes it meaningful for for the folks who utilize the area. Um, and so I, I think we've been very happy. I think some people um, maybe 
interact with the site differently. A lot of people kind of pop onto the site, take a picture by a dune and a plant, and then kind of pop off. Um, we have other residents uh, or, or members of Audubon Society who go there specifically to bird watch. Um, we have groups of school children and um, other you know, tours, um, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts who, who go to learn about these types of systems as well. Um, we've been very happy with the community response. Yeah, I've been to see it. I think it's a really interesting area, and it's such a contrast to the flat, groomed beach right next to it. It's a nice contrast. But um, Melody, I know you've been very involved in the monitoring. So what is it you actually are doing for monitoring the site, and what type of lessons do you hope to learn out of, uh, out of the work you're doing? Yeah, so um, part of the this, this site design was to include a really robust monitoring component. And that was because it was the really the first kind of nature-based uh, style adaptation project directly related to, you know, evaluating the effectiveness against sea level rise and coastal flooding in the area. And so the idea was that with a robust monitoring component um, over many years, that that data could help inform the development and design of other nature-based um, projects in the area, and also just the, the type of projects to choose. And so the site had um, monitoring for, for physical characteristics, things like change in topography of the beach in the restored area versus a controlled groomed area, monitoring the beach slope um, seasonally, um, over time um, and in, in different frequencies over the years, things like monitoring rack cover that would uh, wash up on shore, um, the vegetation cover to see how the vegetation was doing, um, and to be able to tell if the site needed some adaptive management or if the site was um, self-sustaining, meaning that the seeds that were planted during the implementation we're now growing and self-sustaining by flowering and seeding the site over the years, which is what um, the data has shown. And so the idea was that um, an implementation that these, these native species that are adapted for really harsh uh, beach conditions would grow and begin to trap aeolian or wind-driven sand across the beach and over time um, form dunes on the site. And so the, all the monitoring data suggests that that is naturally occurring without um, any of uh, any physical movement or we uh, physical movement of sand that we that we're moving. So it's happening happening naturally on the beach. In some places on site, um, in the southern portion, we've actually seen um, a little over a foot consistently across the southern half of the site. Uh, growth in elevation across about almost four years now. And so we've had a lot of really interesting successes with plant growth and sand accretion over time, um, really just changes uh, that we're tracking through the monitoring. That's a lot of sand to, to accumulate. And, and it's a good story. It, it's what you want to see happening. But Melody, in, in putting together the monitoring plan, did you have success criteria you wanted to work toward, or was this such a new project that you wanted to just kind of look and see and figure out what was going on? 
Yeah, you know, Karina can jump in here too um, after me, but when we put the monitoring plan together um, and there was all these different components, we wanted to be comprehensive enough that we could answer some of the questions like, will dunes form naturally on a beach that has been historically groomed for decades? Um, things like uh, monitoring the type of plant species that we planted and seeing if anything else came up because uh, something else did come up, um, and including one potentially um, rare variant of uh, coastal species of woolly heads. And so um, putting the monitoring plan together, you know, there was an idea that we wanted to see dunes grow. We wanted to see the vegetation that we seeded grow and begin to um, create dunes. Um, but there was not necessarily specific success criteria, except that um, there was constant monitoring to inform any type of adaptive actions that may arise from this project. Great. I want to jump in, Karina, before you go again, but um, just for, for folks listening to this, grooming might not be a term they're familiar with. <clears throat> they may think it means combing your hair or brushing your teeth and and that's not what we mean for beaches. So do one of you want to explain that? Sure. Gro this is Karina. Grooming is essentially using giant uh, mechanical rakes uh, to flatten and uh, rake across the beach. Um, this is done for a number of reasons. In, in Los Angeles, we have these big, wide, flat, uh, large um, areas of beach to for recreation. And so they're maintained in, in that way um, to be consistent, uh, kind of looking for recreation purposes for visitors um, and also to remove some trash that might accumulate over time. Um, but it also flattens any dunes that start to form naturally and removes any vegetation or kelp that might wash ashore as well. That practice is done um, usually on a, a daily basis in the summer and a, a few times a week in the winter across Los Angeles. And do you also want to talk about the success criteria and the performance of the dunes more? Sure. Just briefly to add to what Melody was saying, I think um, because this project was essentially experimental, it was the first one of its kind in our region, uh, we didn't want to make assumptions on, on what that success might look like. Um, really, we were just trying to assess whether or not dunes could form naturally, would form naturally, would plant success, would plant recruitment be successful, um, would the seeds even germinate after, um, like Melody said, decades of grooming. Um, the answers to all those questions are are really useful in informing other projects as well. The the short answer is uh, yes, plants can grow on the beach in Los Angeles, um, and uh, dunes will form. Um, behind them and associated with them. Um, so we're, we're really excited to use that project to inform uh, science-based information and monitoring for other projects as well. You know, aside from the, one of the success, like I wouldn't say success criteria per se, but moving aside from some of the physical monitoring parameters and going back to that first stakeholder meeting um, where, you know, we had some someone not sure if they wanted the project and ended up wanting, you know, wanting it to be bigger. Um, part of this project and the success that, that I like to see is that um, 
this kind of beach is really new to Santa Monica and Los Angeles. We have so many people living in an urban coastline. And when they go to the beach, and when I went to the beach as a kid, it was always this flat groomed beach. I don't remember um, plants on the beach. I don't remember dunes on the beach. And so part of installing this project was really um, to see how people would react to it as well and see how people would react over time. Are they accepting of a natural beach um, and use it as a learning opportunity? to show people that beaches can be something else than flat. An opportunity for a new type of educational experience. Definitely. Do you have any count about the number of students who've been through on organized tours? Oh gosh, not off the top of my head. I I know that in the early years of the project, we were taking groups out about once a month. Um, and they were everyone from Audubon Society to um, school groups to Girl Scout and Boy Scout groups. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency came out for a visit. Uh, so a number of different um, partner groups. And most recently, we we had a, a Girl Scout troop who was really interested in becoming the stewards of the site themselves and starting to lead tours. And so we were training them to be docents essentially for the site. Uh, unfortunately, um, with COVID, that, that plan got pushed um, back in time a little ways. Yeah, I've also seen it incorporated or we've had um, st- students from UCLA or class geology classes visit the site. Um, and also the sites had a lot of interest with um, researchers in the local universities, um, also within the Coastal Research Institute at LMU. That's right. We've had a a number of students do really interesting research projects. Um, Actually, we have four students from LMU's Coastal Research Institute who will be presenting at the American Shore and Beach uh, Conference in October. Great. Hopefully people will, will pay attention to their papers and learn something about this. There's a quote by Elizabeth Rush that I just really like. It comes from her book, Rising. It's that sometimes the key arrives before the lock. And it seems like your project is the culmination of a lot of keys coming in and maybe a couple of locks or two being identified. But what were the, what were the things that were already available to you that made it possible to go ahead and do your project and what was, you know, are, are there, are there some ideas you have about those um, things you didn't know you were going to need until you started putting things together and suddenly you found them? Yeah. So, you know, I think for, for me personally, a lot of the experience in trying to put a project like this together because it was nature based was um, working in restoration at the Napomo Guadalupe dune complex up north. And so being familiar with some of the restoration practices there, the types of plant species, um, having an amazing network of scientists like uh, Dave Hubbard and Jenny Dugan um, to help inform the project as well as other scientists. And so I think collectively that really helped design the project and put things in place um, to implement. I totally agree with Melody. Uh, I would add potentially other important keys would be, um, or tools are, are some of the science-based tools 
uh, like the Cosmos, Our Coast, Our Future, Sea Level Rise and Coastal Storm Modeling um, program, where you can use the interactive online tool to view and visualize where sea level rise will occur. Um, I think the opportunities that um, came out of the conversations that Adapt LA and Sea Grant had uh, with some of the local community members like City of Santa Monica uh, encouraged this conversation about visualizing sea level rise and what that meant for the community and being able to see it and, and begin to understand how to start adapting and planning for it. And then, of course, um, partners, collaborators, um, expert external scientists like the folks that Melody mentioned up at UCSB are, are really vital to, to the success of the project. And so um, we're really grateful to, to everyone um, and especially f- to be able to implement the project to City of Santa Monica and California Department of Parks and Recreation. And I would also suggest that you and your other co-author, Phyllis Griffman, have developed a great network over the years of people to go to, to ask questions of, to ask help from, to bounce ideas off of. And it's that network that you've acquired over your your many years in Santa Monica Bay Area, uh, many years working in this field, that is also a huge part of being able to pull such a big and complex project together when, in what seems like um, no time at all. So um, it's that, that also that stakeholder engagement that you've done throughout your careers that's so, um, it comes to the fore when you need to really get those stakeholders engaged. They already trust you some and they're ready to come and listen and be, be involved. But now the, um, the actual cover of Shore and Beach, this, this issue, is one of the photographs that you provided, Karina. Do, do you want to try and give people a visual idea of what that cover looks like? It's such a great, it works so well as a cover picture. <laughs> sure, we, we love this photograph. Um, this is a photograph uh, taken at the Santa Monica Beach um, restoration site. Uh, It's facing north uh, towards Malibu from about the southeastern edge of the project area. You're looking at a field of um, really beautiful yellow beach evening primrose. Uh, And in the way background, you can see some of the larger dunes that are starting to form. There's a a, sort of a line of lighter colored sand. Um, The area that the photographer is standing on in particular has uh, been some of the most growth of sand. And that's, uh, I think, largely based on the predominant wind direction. But we hope everybody can get out to see it themselves. It's in Santa Monica, just north of the Annenberg Community Beach House. It is um, open to the public and you're welcome to view and interact with the site. Um, You may even see some western snowy plovers. See them, but don't go chasing them. (laughs) They're adorable. So I know that this is this is just one of many things that both of you are doing. And so, Melody, what are you up to these days now that this project is um, somewhat complete and you're going out and doing the monitoring? What's your next big, big effort? Well, you know, you, you mentioned uh, that that quote, sometimes a key arrives before a lock. And I think, um, you know, this this project, if you take a step back, was somewhat of a key because we had approached a lot of different um, organizations and cities um, when we were developing this project, trying to, you know, just 
get a pilot project on the ground. And, um, you know, Santa Monica was one of the only um, cities that was receptive at the time. And um, now we have three more projects um, coming on board. And so uh, I think a lot of time and Karina can attest to this is spent um, planning for those projects and collaborating across the state to see what other living shoreline and nature-based adaptation projects are happening. And so I think um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to collaborate and combine some of that monitoring data and develop uh, better practices for nature-based um, adaptation moving forward. It's an exciting time. It is, and it's certainly something that is really needed. So I'm I'm glad you're talking about it, and I hope you think about writing it up so that you can share it with others. Yeah, I would just add that um, the Bay Foundation has... Uh, the Santa Monica Beach Project paved the way for the Bay Foundation to partner with LA County Department of Beaches and Harbors and City of, City of Manhattan Beach and, and several other coastal municipalities to develop three more coastal resiliency projects and living shoreline projects in the Santa Monica Bay region. Uh, so this project has been really successful in, in kind of setting the stage to start taking some of these uh, lessons learned and recommendations and really applying them even even ourselves and and uh, turning them into these new projects uh, there's the los angeles living shoreline project the malibu living shoreline project and the manhattan beach dune restoration project all coming to a shore near you <laughs> <laughs> so you two have found sort of a niche industry for yourselves for the next couple of years <laughs> of being the go-to's for, for living shorelines that's great. I mean, 10 years ago, who would have thought that would even be a one-time effort, much less you've got one project under your belts and three more underway? We're always looking for more collaborators and partners. Perfect. And then finally, uh, I'm wondering what your favorite beach is or beach experience. And so, Karina, are you going to be loyal to your, your Santa Monica Bay Foundation and stay there? Or are you going to go outside outside the norm and go outside of California even? Where are you going to talk about? Oh, gosh, Leslie, that's a really tough question. Um, I I actually grew up in Texas, um, very far from any beach location. And so they were all my favorite every single time I got to go to one as a kid. And um, then I spent a number of years up in Santa Barbara and have been in Los Angeles a, a little over 12 years. And I think there's so many differences in, in all of these different types of beaches. And, and Santa Barbara has these um, sort of uh, differently shaped beaches, less nourishment, but more and some more rack. It's a little bit more natural, but different types of recreation. And Los Angeles has this really incredible opportunity to get millions of visitors every year to enjoy uh, the coastal experience like, like I always looked forward to as a kid. Um, I, I do have to say my currently my favorite beach is still Santa Monica Beach because of the restoration project and and mostly because I just love to see people interact with the site and be surprised uh, when they see plants there. You know, I, we see surfers that kind of go out of their way to just walk down the path in the middle of the site and look at the plants and stuff. And it, it really um, it really makes me proud and, and really happy with that this is that this is starting to be that conversation that we're having. Um, but of course I have many, many other favorite locations too. <laughs> and Melody, what's your, what's your choice of 
either beach or beach experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Karina. My current favorite beach is uh, Santa Monica. The pro- the pilot project holds a, a deep uh, place in my heart just because it's it's such a great project and it's, it's super interesting to see it transformed. And I remember what it looked like, uh, you know, before the project was installed from in installing the, the posts and the interpretive signage and the fence and the seating. And uh, so there's a lot of memories there. Um, one of my favorite beaches is actually on the central coast uh, where I started working on dunes, um, coastal dune systems and um, moving up a little bit north from the Napomo Guadalupe system. Um, I really really love Moonstone Beach in Cambria. It's a rocky beach, uh, sometimes has sand on it depending on the season. Um, But I have lots of memories of taking um, my son Nainoa there and walking along the beach in the early mornings after um, a low tide and uh, finding little sparkly moonstones on the beach uh, from a deposit offshore. And so I really like that beach. Yep. No, no day can go bad if you at least start it by a walk on the beach. So do you have any um, last minute things that you wish I had asked you that we didn't get to, either of you? Just thanks for this opportunity to, to speak to you, Leslie, and to everybody today. Um, and thanks to Melody and Phyllis for their great partnership and, and collaboration on this paper. We really hope that it translates well to people and that uh, you can take some of those lessons learned and recommendations and apply them in your own region. Yeah, completely agree with Karina. I hope this is the start of um, kind of a new world of how we manage our coastline. And um, I'm really excited to see um, the suit of solutions that will be coming out, you know, in the next decades um, on how we implement nature-based solutions. I want to thank you both for taking time to talk about your Shore and Beach article and for sharing some of your favorite things about Santa Monica Bay and this project. Um, Just as a a bigger thank you, I'd like to thank Andy O'Neill, who's the guest editor for this issue. Back in 2019, when we were initially planning the issue, the intent was to use it as an introduction to the 2020 in-person American Shore and Beach um, annual conference. Instead, that conference has become a virtual event. As Karina, as you mentioned, there's going to be um, discussions about this project in the next week or so when the the conference actually happens or has happened by the time this airs. But um, we intended this to be a normal issue. Instead, it was the first to be produced entirely during the shelter-in-place reality that COVID has brought to us. And... um, As a result, the articles provide a great virtual tour of the Pacific Coast and possibly an introduction to the location of the 2022 American Shore and Beach Preservation Association Conference. We had hoped that people could read these articles and go and look at some of the places that have been covered in the articles. Now we're gonna have to give people a two-year head start to get thinking about where they wanna go. And I hope you'll both be around for the conference in 2022. and willing to show people or have your Girl Scout docents ready to show us all this this wonderful dune system. And and we'll have two more years of growth and expansion and and all the wonderful things will be happening over this time. So thank you so much for being on on Shorewords today. Mm